we're doing the we're doing the pre-roll like the you know the kind of amble before we get into it again uh episode 18 episode 18 yeah 18 hours of my life where are we going to be episode 100 i don't know We'll find out. Yeah. Um, first topic today is um, presenting and pitching. We've done a lot of presenting and pitching recently. Um, I think it's an art form. Um, what's your thoughts on pitching, presenting in general? You know, I think that the most common, I don't want to say mistake, but the thing that people get wrong, and it's not like we're guilty free of that in the past. It's um, it's about being able to accurately answer the brief, you know? So I think there's two sides to it. One is having a good brief so that you can be very specific with how you answer the brief. And the other thing is answer, resolve the problem, right? Resolve the challenge, um, not just pitch your ideas that you like you have to actually resolve the client issue that's what i think yeah and um there's always this argument between slides and no slides like where do you come down on that i think it depends on the the project the circumstance um but i think having a visual aid help helps communicate ideas and thinking and logic um much quicker than just verbal communication i guess it would be almost um like the difference between qualitative and quantitative in a sense that like when there's something that's like quantitative it's tangible you can see it whereas when it's just verbal communication some of it is a bit more subjective and open to interpretation yeah and also another thing people always do is they put too, too much information on the slides and they just read the slides that seems to happen like over and over again right yeah I remember even I remember on... college like you do these team like group group work in college and i'd always have a fucking argument with whoever's in the group saying there's too much on the slides and then they would say no there's not enough on the slides uh it's like a perpetual it... cycle it's college is this UK college or American college? Yeah, yeah, yeah. UK. You mean university or do you yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, right. mine was a technical college, like at one point, but it got upgraded to university. Okay. Well, there we go. Um, I think, I think some of it is cultural as well. I've seen how people do PPT decks in different parts of the world. Uh, a lot more information dense than presentations that I see given in other places in the world, such as the West. Um, and know your audience, right? Yeah. That's the, that's another thing. Know your audience. I think you need to start with the audience. Cause if you, if you build like a presentation and you don't know who you're talking to, or you, you already, you think, you know, who you're talking to without actually doing any research, then basically it's not going to hit. It's just going to fall flat. Right. I think that's the first step. It's like when we do pitches to these companies, it's like we always start with the the background, right? Kind of yeah, exactly. Of course, you have to do the research, you know, otherwise your answer is not grounded in any reality. 
Yeah. Who's who's the who's like the best uh, presentation you've seen either live or online? TED Talk or in person? Putting you on the spot. I, don't know. I can't I can't say best, but what I can say is that there's a MIT professor called Patrick Winston that has a free lecture online called How to Speak. And it's about how to give a presentation. And I have to say, um, a very useful tool, a very insightful presentation. It certainly changed the way that I started presenting information. Patrick Winston. I think it's Patrick Winston, yeah. He's a professor. Yeah, well, was. I think he's uh, no longer with us, yeah. Yeah, I mean, who do I like now? Um, presenting. Hmm. It's actually hard. I think it's an art form that's kind of dying, actually. There's not many people that do it well now, to be honest. Well, I think there's different circumstances and contexts as well. Hit me, the first one that hit me, and it's not because of the content. It was just because of the, the, the overall package. It was the Al Gore one, The Inconvenient Truth um he that was a super slick it was super slick like in terms of the the flow and the obviously the aesthetics and they turned that basically into the documentary right like the presentation was the basis for documentary he was he was super convincing to be fair um yeah but uh, obviously it's kind of bullshit at the end i kind of found out it's kind of bullshit but Mm. Yeah. No comment. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you watch any of the TED stuff? I, I noticed they had some new, new. Uh, you know, one new... one time, I, a a long time ago, as you know, I I used to work in the conference uh, space, so I've seen a lot of presentations. Okay, a lot, uh, hundreds, and um, the whole TED talk thing, I find it very like high level it's a performance right as much as it is about delivering like information so i also once bought a book in an airport which was like a ted talks book i think i know other people that made the same mistake and um (laughs) and yeah i just got nothing useful out of it and it killed my it killed it killed my enthusiasm for the brand put it that way that's pretty funny um yeah um and also i think people you said performance there it's quite interesting because um again another another one i think of is the sell me the pen you know the jordan belfort like a lot of people remember these spectacle type uh pitches you know tony robbins you're a big fan yeah and then and then gary right gary v just making stuff up on the spot yeah yeah again it's these people are like um, showmen. Yes. You know? They're not just like salespeople or business people. They're showmen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the optimal presentation is like a mixture of that, right? You need a little bit of showmanship, but you need the education piece. Um, and just, yeah, you can't bullshit people with like wrong information. Then I've seen a few people do that. Yeah, to go- I I uh, I did I just I don't know like the I, t- I don't want to go into too much detail but there was one time I was at a conference in Philadelphia it was a pharmaceutical conference and um it was like this you know one of their big dogs the CIO CDO whatever 
very, very big pharmaceutical company. And he obviously just didn't have a clue what he was talking about, just making it all up. It was like that guy in the BBC, remember the guy, he went on in the wrong slot and he was just like lost. <laughs> yeah. No. No, you know that guy, he was like, um, <laughs> you know, he, he, he got put on the BBC and he, he didn't even know uh, what he, 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 he's talking guy. about the guy that was like just came in through the side door. Yeah, guy, the guy was called Guy. The guy was called Guy Goma. I just seen it on Google. And uh, he just completely uh, like wasn't ready for the interview. He didn't even know what he was talking about. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, how... a music guy. It was supposed to be a music expert, and uh, the guy was. I mean, music. how you end up in that situation, like? Have you how ever, do you have just you ever, like um, froze on the stage, like, or like been like stuck? You know. Not really. I think as long as you rehearse, then you're you're good. Yeah, you've you've got to do a bit of rehearsal. Ah, oh. um, the viewers. Um, I don't know if the viewers will be seeing this on the YouTube. That my connection's quite slow today. So, can you see that? Yes, developing internet, yeah. developing country internet. What can you? Uh... Yeah, apparently Vietnam, where I am right now. Full disclosure. Um, apparently it has three lines of um, telephone communication cable, uh, but apparently only one of the three lines is working. Mm. Apparently, I don't know, but that's what because... I've heard that from a few different people now. Because there's just only three lines. Who knows? Maybe it's a rumor. Maybe there's not. Maybe there just is one line and it's rubbish, but. Um... <laughs> The internet speeds in Vietnam are not good. I think that Vietnam will just transition to probably like 5G technology, kind of similar to China in that way, where it's like they don't depend on um, cable. Yeah. Yeah. It don't have 5G in this country yet, but it is coming. I did start seeing some adverts for 5G, but it wasn't here three months ago definitely no there was no mention of 5g three months ago actually when i got my sim card at the airport uh last time i came to vietnam there were some chinese guys standing behind me and they were also queuing for a sim card and they said we'll have three 5g sim cards i had to tell these guys i was like there's no 5g in vietnam and they were like they were just mind blown you know because obviously i think 5g in china is so common um they they were just like is he Right? Is he telling the truth to the people behind the desk? And they were like, yeah, yeah, there is no 5G here in Vietnam. Shock. Um, final one on the present presentation. Like, we're going to see this this Apple headset this summer, right? And and Tim Cook's going to, he's probably going to butcher the presentation. He's not, he's not a super engaging presenter. Do you think it matters these days? Like, uh, do you think these like presentations matter to the overall success of a product? Because we've seen a decline in these things in recent years it's because everybody is doing the same thing yes. everybody's just hosting it's a pr event yeah. that's all it's just for the press and media the same press and media that come every time some of those press and media have to be paid to go i bet they don't have to be paid to go to apple but it's just like you, 
yeah, again, not to blow the trumpet of nothing, but I really, I liked their, you know, their launch was kind of similar to their phone, right? It was like just different. So kudos to them there. Uh, I know they, they did get some like quote unquote kind of criticism for it, which I personally feel was a little bit unjustified. I think that they pushed the boat out and fair play to them, you know, but ultimately your launch event, your launch party, whatever it is, your, your, your launch event has to match your brand. It has to, uh, it has to be part of the story. But it does, it does feel like even other things like fashion now, like even the runways and stuff don't seem to get as much attention anymore. It's like all about drops now, you know, just like online, you do a drop. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see like whether like these presentations keep going. Different brands, I don't know. Even Tesla doesn't do any of these anymore. It used to have these big presentations. Now it's like, oh, there's a new car on the website. Go and buy it. I, mm, I think it depends like all of it is planned anyway you're telling me that the cyber truck window wasn't planned to smash come on that's just good pr you know they knew that that would create a viral story yeah um yeah anyway uh, that's a good segue on to the next topic um a couple of weeks ago we had the shanghai auto show and um basically everyone now is saying that um Chinese cars are going to dominate the scene in terms of electric cars. Um, we don't, we don't, we both don't own a car. We haven't driven in a long time, so it's kind of hard. To, I have. You have. I drove, I've been driving around in Thailand. Yeah. Sorry, Thailand. But like, we don't own a car, so it's like, I feel like a little bit out of touch with cars. But we have to talk about it because uh, it's basically a smartphone on wheels now. Electric cars. I will say this: there's a type of car called an Aura Good Cat. Okay. You can uh, you can Google it. I, I'm not sure. I think it might have been developed by an Australian company, but it's part of the general uh, Great Wall Motors um, outfit. You know, Chinese. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, there's they're, they're all over the place in Thailand. There's so many. I know people that own them as well. Yeah. yeah. So it's the it started the wafer started. I do think that Chinese EVs will dominate. Yeah. markets to be honest maybe not western markets but definitely everywhere else in the world i got into an argument with a guy on twitter about this and he said basically chinese cars are going to dominate the world and i said yes they will in europe but i said they won't in the u.s because i think when the u.s sees a smartphone on wheels coming they'll just think huawei and they'll think we're going to ban these guys we're going to we're going to stop them on national security grounds and he was like well you know they can you know they can um build the cars in the US and they can store the data in the US, but I, I think it's still going to be, it's going to be a massive, massive uh, geopolitical storm when these cars come on mass, I think. Yeah. It'll be a Huawei situation all over. I th I can't see them being heavily imported into Europe, to be honest with you. Mm. I think that by that point, I think that there'll be more competitive I think that the Western countries are going to have to install some new manufacturing industries to rely less on well, we, we Chinese tried, goods. Right? We, we tried with British Volt and it failed. We tried to build it in was it Sunderland? They tried to build it somewhere in the northeast. Um, was it Sunderland or somewhere like that? The the British, Volt. the British what? It's called British Volt. Um, 
uh, uh, Blythe. They tried to build a factory in Blythe. Did not know that. <laughs> but it completely collapsed. Mm. I mean, it's a big car factory from Nissan in Sunderland. Yeah. Huge. Um, but I thought that that might have even been like closing down or yeah, reducing yeah, the amount that. of jobs. So, again, I, I, I'm not saying the UK, but yeah, if you look at where the UK is now with the inflation, soon they'll be able to start having labor industries again. It's coming back. It has to be. There's a lot of um, a lot of immigration, which is also going to drive down you know, wages, it's going to be more competitive in the UK. Um, so it, all the all the factors that contribute to uh, low labor costs uh, and and productivity in terms of, um, you know, manufacturing, the, the, the writings on the wall, like look at Shenzhen, it's it's not um, it's not people from Shenzhen that work in the factories, it's people from all over China. And I think it's yeah. Sim similar situation going on in yeah. in, in the West. Um, so that's going to be a long-term thing. We don't know if it's going to kind of, uh, however it's going to go. But Chinese cars are very competitive. But there was another story from the, the auto show that I saved. Um, and basically BMW caused a massive fuss because apparently they were serving ice cream to all the foreign guests, but not the Chinese. And uh, basically, there's a huge boycott of BMW uh, off the back of this. <laughs> you know, uh, never take never take a free sample away from the Chinese people. That's what I'm going to say. It's funny how these things happen, though. We've seen this many, many times, right? Where <laughs> a brand, like a foreign brand, goes into China and they make some kind of mistake. It could be a small mistake. And then it blows up in their face, right? And then they've got like a nationwide boycott. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand it because, um, you know, people people don't want to feel discriminated against. But more importantly, never take a free sample away from Chinese people. Chinese people love a free sample. They do. If you're Chinese, comment below and confirm. But it does raise the question, like, again, of how... Slightly going off talk, but it does raise the question of like, how can foreign brands really compete in China long term? It's it's so hard that market for 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 them to go there and compete. Like they're they're competing against both a different culture and domestic brands that are like, you know, just growing like a weed. Very difficult. I've I've opinions on that. I don't think foreign brands will ever compete in China. Not not to the point where they'd have like. Monopoly, and again, I'd say that the brands that have been closest to doing that are Apple and Tesla, probably. Yeah, I think I think Apple are probably the only one in my mind. Um, but they only dominate in tier one cities. They don't yeah. dominate in they, the they vast just, majority they, of China. It's funny they just overtook our old uh, company. Oppo is the number one smartphone brand in China by market share, so they're doing something right. Um, well, the, the, I tell you, I tell you what it is to all the former colleagues that we used to work with. Oppo has too many phones that they can't maintain. You know, there's, it's the software, it's the operating system that I think really holds back Oppo devices more so than the hardware. Yeah. Um, and then also in the the auto show, I'm looking at the numbers here. Tesla 
is cutting their prices in China. It's very affordable now. Um, do you think like what's the strategy to compete against like these Chinese companies like BYD, uh, Geely, um, Neo, Xiaoping? Like if if their technology is superior and they're cheaper than you, like how do you compete? If you're a, if you're a BMW or a, a Volkswagen or Porsche. Yeah, well, you do what the BYD did to these other companies, which is take apart their cars and look at their technology and try and replicate it. I mean, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to sound, um, I, I don't want to sound negative about the way that things are done. But a lot of these companies, like the innovation, it, it it's is very incremental because they're taking the base in their technology of stuff that they've stolen from elsewhere, you know, and rebuilding it and trying to improve on it. It's not innovation in the sense of, oh, it's a completely new idea. So if, if Tesla, et cetera, you know, that's why Elon Musk is building the factory in China, right? Because to compete, he has to be able to get the, the cost of the labor down to be able to do it at the scale that is required in China. So I think, I think certain things they they do innovate, like batteries. The cattle company CATL, they, they're they're pretty much the world leader in batteries. But partly because China's got the rare earth, right? They can actually, you know, use them again. A, a, another reason why Elon Musk is there. Yeah. Elon Musk is there to to learn about the batteries. You know, he's not. It's not like I think that Elon Musk is not loyal to like any like American political cause. Yeah. Yep. Um. But anyway, I think it was quite a notable event because basically it also signaled China is open for business again, and um, mm. I feel I feel like there's probably opportunities in China now that there wasn't the yeah. last few years yeah definitely but i still think that it's it's going it's going to be very domestic market focused with an emphasis on home grown brands that's the new rules it's not pre-2020 it's not it's definitely not pre-covid um right at least we're not seeing that but i think long term they're going to have to export they're going to have to go overseas because I think their population, you know, is kind of not going to support enough yeah. business. Africa, uh, South Asia. And yeah. Europe, you know, Europe's an easy target because we're not, we're not like America where we're going to ban everything. I'm not so sure. I feel that remains to be seen, to be honest. Well, I don't know. I'm not so sure about how, how much penetration the Chinese market, sorry, the Chinese businesses will have in the European market. Yeah, it's a mixed bag, definitely a mixed bag. I, th I think the reason why I'm unsure is just the geopolitical situations that are going on right now. Yeah. Gotta try this one thing. Yeah, uh, moving on, um, we're going to talk about AI. We talk about AI every week these days, but we can't help it, right? Because it's literally every single week, there's some really interesting story to talk about. Um, and the way it's impacting marketing is just like, like you can't not talk about it. Um, so this is a story from 
BBB, BBDO, which is a, it's a big agency, market agency. And their, their guy, their CEO put a memo saying, basically, um, you should try AI tools, but basically because of copyright and some other stuff, don't use them on client work directly. That was his like words. Um, that's uh, a super controversial one. I, I'm going to say this here and now. Um, if somebody uses ChatGPT to do things, I will be able to know immediately. I can tell. Yeah, especially if I've tried to do the same thing that they're doing. I'll give you an example. If somebody is writing copy for a brand or a website, okay, uh, for PR or for uh, social media or advertising or whatever, okay, the chat GPT, open AI, whatever tool it is, it's indexing certain websites, right? So it has a, a bank of information of which is indexed and it will pull knowledge from there or pull information from there to create its answer. But what happens is, is it creates like a monoculture because everybody, you know, if I said, uh, write a website product description for the iPhone 14 Pro, and somebody else also wants to do that, we're going to get more or less the same answer because the information sources will be the same. Yeah. And therefore it's like, it, 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 it's like it ends up repeating the same kind of phrases. Maybe it uses the same kind of like adjectives, verbs, adverbs to describe situations. So I would, I would never use ChatGPT, OpenAI, any of these AI tools on client work, because it's, I think it's increasingly obvious, to be honest. Yeah. And the, the two, the two other issues he mentioned in the memo was, um, the first one was copyright, which, which takes me back to like the music industry, Napster and all these guys, there was this argument that, you know, all the, all the labels tried to, to shut down Napster and they did shut down Napster. Um, but at the end of the day, Napster still won because music went digital, right? So there's this argument that like AI is blatantly copy using copyright materials, which it is, but it's gonna it's gonna win in the end any day. Like, cause you know, you can't stop it. Um that's a tough one. Copyright's well I mean, I think it's also like this, you know, adjusting the temperature on these tools makes a big difference. So how fruity it gets with its answer. I think that's the thing with ChatGPT, the, you know, the publicly accessible, like consumer facing uh, interface of the open AI yeah. is that they've obviously turned down the fruitiness of its answer. Like in the yeah. last few months or weeks, at least it just gives more standardized answers it's, than it ever did. And it's kind of structured in a very structured way i'm not saying that it does it it still has unbelievable functionality the functionality did not change the applicability of the tool is the same but the actual content yeah. is more limited it's similar to the argument against tiktok right like they tiktok say it's all algorithms um but at the end of the day like they train they, they write the algorithm and they train it right so of course there's always going to be bias yeah, yeah. true um, yeah. But you know, when we were at that conference in Singapore, there yeah. was a company there. What were they called? 
I mean, it was a t- it was a TikTok company. It was a bike dance company, and their business was selling the algorithm. They sell the algorithm, not necessarily in the context of like content distribution, but in all like like uh, for example, if you had a marketplace e-commerce app, okay, it would suggest items that you might want to buy. But you could basically install the TikTok algorithm into your uh, your e-commerce marketplace platform, so you have the same characteristics of suggestibility that make yeah. TikTok a- addictive. That's what, what they were. Called Byte Plus was that what it's called? Byte Plus. I think it. Yeah, Byte Plus. Yeah. It sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. Build better products, richer experiences, growth through intelligent solutions. I think it's that one, right? Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. The other the other argument that was in the memo was uh, client confidentiality, and and you think about that like when agencies, you know, when we get like documents from clients, we store it uh, on our servers, and we typically don't use that information directly in the work that we do. But if you're if you're putting like client materials into a, a tool like ChatGPT, then in theory you're breaking your confidentiality. With the client and that that was his other big concern i, I think that's quite legit you know because if, 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 yeah. if you use these tools and, and client information's out there like there's no control you, you can't but, you but can't microsoft also on the web the the email exchanges and so google i think that people raise these concerns but you have an apple laptop you have a google mobile phone it's what's the difference you know yeah yeah, yeah. Apple have buy-in on everybody's stuff unless you have like a completely encrypted operating system. Yeah, it's where do you draw the line, right? Yeah. I think the case would be like maybe would ChatGPT recycle any information that it learned from you to another person? That would yeah. probably be something that is also a concern. It's kind of mind-boggling, right? When you think about the the consequences of using these tools, like it's especially when you're when there's confidentiality, like legal. Imagine legal teams, like it's it's a minefield, really. But then, but then you don't use it, and then you basically a smaller company, smaller agency, freelancer, they get ahead because they do it, right? <laughs> it's like catch twenty-two in some way. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when it first came about. It was definitely, I want to say better than it is now. I don't use it as much as I was utilizing it before, but I probably still utilize it every day, open it. I mean, all the automations, right? The automations I utilize every day without utilizing. You know, I don't physically go and, you know, write some of the tweets that I write. You know, it's all automated online. So um, I guess I'm still using it. That's the future for me as is the topic of the presentation as well. The future is automation of the uh, AI. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't think, I think this is only the beginning of these kind of, uh, these arguments and, and, and thoughts, but I think agencies agencies are, are basically, they have to roll with AI. They can't, they can't ignore uh- it. It's it's interesting. It's interesting. I do wonder the applicability of the the tool. Um, 
and where I mean I don't know I'd have to obviously look into the solution more but I think it's quite interesting yeah 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 um and then the other thing on AI was um AI music so basically there was a song with Drake in the weekend they've never collaborated as far as I know like directly on a track um so some guy threw this track together and within 48 hours it had over 20 million streams people loved it well people DJs have been doing mashups for ages now anyway so this is just a quicker more seamless way to do it so you know I still see people do mashups and collaborations of artists that never collaborated in the analog format whereby they would just you know rip the like the vocals create an acapella of one track and layer it over somebody else's backing track or whatever that that's always been done it's just the ease of which it can be done now it's you know the average joe can just pick their favorite drake and weekend track and yeah. put it into a machine and it's a brand new song it's very interesting what he said on instagram he, he commented on instagram and people are trying to think about is he being serious or not he said this is the final straw ai so people are really speculating like is he going to embrace this or is he going to like try and sue them try and get it taken Who? back drake it's up to his lawyers, isn't it? Jay-Z, he, was, he, he used to always do that, right? Like, he always used to sue people for the, like, YouTube uploads. And, you know, the, the record labels are famous for basically suing everyone, right? For copyright material. Business, you know. Yeah. It's not personal. The, the question is, from an artist's perspective, like, if, if, if their fans love these mashups and it, it improves their record sales and their, their concert sales and all this stuff, then why would they be against it? You know, That's the question. I think it's the proliferation of that style of content that they would be fearful of because they could make half the amount that they would make. Otherwise, if you know, 20 million streams, I don't know how much revenue that generates, but I can imagine that oh, it's oh, a fair oh, amount. Mm, nah, I can imagine 20 million. I can imagine it's a fair amount. Yeah. But, um, yeah, easily, I reckon around, I'm not saying millions, but maybe creeping up to $100,000, I think is fair to say. Yeah. So what do you think? Like, should, should companies, like, should Spotify, like, stop, like, cut access to the, the music catalog or, like, sue them? Or, like, is this another one, like, finger in the dam situation, like the, the agency stuff? Is it, like... You embrace it or yeah, you, agree you, with you fight it. I agree with you. I think it's finger in the dam. I think it's it's just going to be a case of how it's managed and regulated. Everybody's going, oh, you know, the AI, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be so revolutionary. Uh, it will for those who have access to it. But the vast majority of people are going to have, you know, third tier access, not first tier access to these tools. So... Um, it will be regulated and people will decide how it will be used for, you know, Joe blogs, the general public. Mm. So it's finger in the dam, but it's like there's a dam that's being constructed with a lot of money uh, by the corporations and the entities that might own or originally own like intellectual property yeah. to limit to, to limit maybe other companies, companies like the AI 
creation tools to say if some so and so does this you know we're entitled to x so you know there's a, there'll be regulation regulation yeah do you remember when um do you remember when like the likes of like um who, who can example like avici and like alan walker and all these guys that that uh, kaigo like no one ever heard of these guys before right they just put their they, they did their mix the mixed tapes on soundcloud and then they blew up right they became very famous worldwide and they did sell out concerts mm-hmm. and they just came out of nowhere these people i remember alan walker he did a concert in juhai and like this was like when he started like years ago just when i was around this area like and the the only reason he was there was because of that like mixtape on soundcloud you know like he was he got like a record deal um do you think like uh do you think can you imagine yourself going to like an event like a, a concert one day and the, and it's just pure ai there's no there's no dj it's just like it's all ai like there's no there's no performer you know can you imagine that situation well personally i you wouldn't find me at that conference at uh, that that event but yeah i can imagine and it will be the youth of today that go, no, the, the AI is better than a person. Yeah. So it's just, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time and generations. Harris here, like there must have been 8,000 people or whatever. And, you know, you've literally got a stage and you've got Calvin at the decks. All you're doing is taking away Calvin, right? And it's the same, it's the same experience. You just minus the man at the front, you know? Yeah, but this is the thing about that, like... I mean, this is not to criticize that genre of music, okay, but I do have a problem with it, mostly because I'm a bit of like an electronic music snob, as you know. Um, but the, the problem is with those kind of things is formulaic. And, you know, outside of that kind of genre, that uh, people are going to also watch the artist perform. You know, they actually want to, they know the technicalities of, is that a good DJ move? And did he mix it good there? And how good is mixing? And what's his track selection? Because maybe he's going to play a new track that we've never heard. And again, DJs outside of that genre won't just play their music and music from that record label. They'll play across the spectrum. So I think there's a performance that is taken away. I mean, you've been to a nightclub in Shenzhen. You know, those people are just pressing play. You know, they're not... Mate, our favourite place in uh, Bangkok, the, the DJ, remember last time, we were just saying, like, are they actually doing anything or are they just standing there? Remember? And, uh, yeah, I mean, probably a mixture of both at that both, place. Right? Yeah. But I think this raises a bigger question. Like, it, it touches on ju- not just, like, music, but, like, could be marketing, could be any sector. Like, you know, AI, like, dri- self-driving cars. Do you need a human being involved in the job? per se to trust it or buy it or enjoy the experience i think the involvement of the human just becomes less and less as the technology progresses yeah it's just people will be phased out and it's again the way that i would describe it is like we're staying above the waterline (laughs) we're trying to just stay above the waterline and some people will be below the waterline before other people right so that's How where clean, the ai is the water if it, the water is clean then that's, i guess okay i don't want to find out to be yeah. fair so i quite like my autonomy um yeah it's kind of scary and, and uh, someone tweeted there yesterday chat gpt was launched five months ago 
Yeah, and it was regulated very heavily about four months ago. Pretty mental. So, yeah, it is a pretty shocking statistic, to be honest. Five months. Wow, a lot has changed. It has, yeah. A lot. A lot. <laughs> I think I think automation tools are coming into their own as well, like Zapier and et cetera. Yeah, those not, that's not, a, not just like on the server side, like a lot of what you can do on like behind the scenes back end is now automated. Um, we're talking about electric cars there at the Shanghai Auto Show. They're all going to be self-driving, um, you know, in the near future. So it's, it's pretty mental, actually. Couple of years, really. Couple of our, years. Our kids are not going to learn to drive, eh? Don't think so. Who knows? Who knows? Probably not. They're not going to learn to drive. They're not going to need to use Google search, probably. Uh, mind blowing. Here, here yeah. flip on his head. What, what's going to stay the same in in marketing? Uh, in marketing. Well, here's the situation with the whole marketing thing. I feel like AI right now, its biggest challenge is it just it can't spawn an idea without any information being loaded into it. It can't just be abstract. People can still get epiphanies and a machine just can't get an epiphany. It can't just have a moment, a sudden moment of realization and decide, here's a new idea that we're going to do. A so human can that, do right? that. Is that sentient? Is that sentient describes thing for itself, right? Yes. Right. I mean, even if, I mean, where do you draw the line on thinking though? Because if processing is thinking, you know, in like sort of like thinking in binary terms, uh, it, so I'm saying it can't, it, it relies on something. Yeah, it needs input. Yeah. Whereas I can go to sleep and have a dream. Yeah. Maybe the input is like all my experiences and collections. Maybe it will be able to do that. Yeah. Who knows? The other thing's emotion. So imagine, so we were talking about, I sent you a deck last week and I told you the story about the guy that did the presentation. And I think what, what won the day was the emotion in the room, you know, like you could feel like there was a loving, there was a warm feeling, um, you know, the slide, slides are slide, but like you need that emotion connection to kind of, you know, basically connect with people and get the, the work. Uh, that's missing in AI because it's, it's ruthless, right? It's cold blooded. It just, it just does what it's, what it does. And then unless it can develop emotion, then that's potentially our most powerful defense against it. I think. I mean, what is emotion? Because emotion is the intangible. So it's like, how do you develop? emotion it's not something you can measure you know does anger feel the same for everyone does love feel the same for everyone mm. is happiness experienced in the same way i mean we could say oh you know certain chemicals like dopamine are released in the brain and therefore you know blah 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 but the actual like consciousness of it as in like the experience it's it's a there's no way to understand whether that is that experience of like a, let's say a dopamine rush is the same experience in everyone because everyone's genetic makeup is also different but there's no tangible way to really measure it you can see the chemicals but the experience is is very subjective yeah no fair um 
yeah and it, and that comes back to like purpose as well like if you're like as a human being like if, if ai can do the job better than you then like unless you can add like value in terms of like not just not just to do do the job but like make yourself feel good then why would you get involved like why would you interject into the process you know Mm, I would agree. I would agree. I think I would agree, but that 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 speaks more broadly to kind of, you know, doing what you enjoy anyway. I mean, you think AI also has the capability of taking away some of the monotony of certain tasks. Yeah. No, I I think marketing people need to abstract themselves. Definitely, we we need to like get out of the out of the trenches, so to speak. You know, and and get onto the hill and like overlook the battle and and try and you know be more strategic well a lot of people as well you know the marketing people you again i guess this is coming full circle on what you were saying earlier about doing the research you know a lot of people just go oh uh here's a brand uh it makes this product i think that this would be a good campaign it's like okay well hang on why you know why do you think that what has informed your decision yeah um it's first of may first of may today mate so we'll just uh we'll kind of finish up i think just things you're looking forward to this summer it's the summer is upon us officially uh hanging out with you for two months in hong kong um i don't know just life's really I wouldn't trade my life is uh hard in some ways but it's better than it ever has been in other ways you know so I don't know I just look forward to every day at the moment as cheesy as that sounds what about you No I I I agree like there's so much negative shit around right now like between the war between economy between like all of the politics and like um you know you could go on and on right there's so many things like um like it it can drag you down sometimes you know I was thinking about this yesterday you know like I was sitting at home and I just had a quiet day to myself and sometimes you need that you know like just to kind of refocus yourself get your energy back um I went to the gym and I just chilled out in the afternoon and it's like there's and everyone's everyone's online like I'm not I'm not talking about a specific holiday here but everyone's online like uh look at me like I'm in you know, I'm in bloody, I'm in a volcano somewhere or I'm in like um, fucking Seoul or something, you know, Japan or whatever. It's like, it's a lot of virtue signaling going on, right? To kind of, I think, distract people from the, the reality, like the, the kind of shitstorm of the world right now. Um, and I think my point is just be happy for the small mercies we have. Well, I, I, I agree. <laughs> and not to sound like too nihilistic, but I think that... Um... I think that a lot of the doom and gloom is kind of manufactured as well. Like regardless of whether you think it says because it gets clicks or likes or engagement on social media, which generates some kind of money or, you know, captures people attention, which can then be monetized. Like maybe that is the case, but. Well, I mean, it's every second Instagram post, right? Like if you, if you, it's just, it's I mean, rampant, like everywhere. Yeah. The, I mean, the good times are, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Good times. Just have good times. That's it. Everybody have good times. Have good times. Don't be afraid to, 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 to share, I would say, 
um but also be as you say like you've got to be every day like treat every day as like even if it's a normal day just enjoy it you know i think a lot of people we see a lot of people we know like people that kind of i think they just save up their good days and they just toil like they toil away in like a in a shit situation or you know a job they're not enjoying for the for the one day that maybe is you know like a good day do you know what i mean like they're they're, they're yeah it's like saving sex for marriage you know it's that kind of feeling yeah. don't know about that but uh <laughs> <laughs> the, the the situation that I, I heard an Andrew quote take yesterday actually and, and, on YouTube. Andrew take quote, not Andrew quote take. Is that what I said? <laughs> uh, I saw an Andrew Tate quote yesterday, and it was um, it was something like, um, you know, people. I, I don't want to say too much because obviously he's inflammatory intentionally. Yeah, okay, pod, so it's okay, not. Pod taken down. It, it's. It's not like I fully agree with everything he says, but he did say if if you're living like a you know moderately comfortable life and you need a therapist, you know there's people in Afghanistan whose father got blown up by a, a bomb yesterday, and they're back out on the street making and selling bread to survive. Yeah, like don't take you know don't just appreciate how good your life actually is compared to the vast majority of people in these countries, like in all, all over the world, Middle East and Africa, and it's, it's awful, you know, stop war, everyone. Um, but it's awful. It's awful. That's, that is a situation. I, I, I think a lot of, a lot of people, obviously they just get in their own head and their own bubble and they, they don't zoom out and see things in like yeah. the broader context. I also think people get trapped in the, the instant gratification culture we have now where like they have to get things now they have to get this job now they have to get this car now and social media is kind of that's the negative side of social media right like it it it, it really gives you that fucking fomo like every day yeah i'd agree and i'd say that it affects the youth a lot more i don't want to sound like i'm saying bad things about the youth here um but be patient as well you know, stop rushing and saying that you can do things and, uh, you know, take the money and figure it out. Like that doesn't always work out well because yeah. you take the money, you look like a fool if you can't do the job or can't get it finished. I'm not saying don't take risk. OK, sometimes it is right to take the money and to have a go if you really, truly know that you have the capability or the right kind of people around you to be able to execute said task or the right mentality. But if you haven't got any of those three things, and it's just like, let's take the money because I like the money and we'll figure it out once we've got the money, then yeah, I've seen that go wrong a lot. And especially I see it a lot more often in young people these days. And I think, agree with you. I think social media has definitely played a part in that. Yeah. Um any anywhere you want to go this summer like any particular places no you 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 know i've already got like a travel plan lined up um i'm here and then i'm going to hong kong then i'm going to china then i might come back here and then go to japan i've got some friends from the us going to japan soon uh so probably go to japan in like september october time 
Yeah, I haven't, um, been, I haven't and, been in a while. Yeah, I've never been, actually. It's uh, expensive, but it's nice. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard. Philippines? It's one of those ones that keeps getting deprioritized. Um, I will go one day, but I don't know. It's not got a massive appeal to me. I think the the appeal of the Philippines is like actually the service marketing service industries are are very strong and uh, good for the amount of money that they cost. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where am I going? Uh, Taiwan. Go back to Taiwan. Is that it? That's that's, that's it at the moment. Yeah. Taiwan's nice. No other plan. Nah. When are you moving out of Hong Kong? Uh, next year. You said that. You said I swear you said like a podcast or two ago that you were like thinking about Bali and. If you, if you talk to anyone in Hong Kong, are you, when you leave Hong Kong, uh, next year, next year, next year. It's not a bad place, mate. I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll. We'll uh, see. I think it's got a bit of everything. I've heard. I've heard. Yeah. Very livable. Yeah, you got the hiking. You got the beach. You got the city. You got nightlife. I don't know, you know. Not bad. We'll see. We'll see. All right. We're going to wrap. We are. Episode 18 in the books. Ciao. Ciao.